So, part nine of To the Praise of His Glory. And this is our final talk on this series. It's called You, you Are Called to This. And we're going to be looking um, not from the Apostle Paul this time, but from the Apostle Peter. We thought that that would be a good uh, uh, strengthening of what Paul said. I mean, Paul got his revelation from Jesus in three years on the backside of the desert, a lot of his New Testament material. And Peter hung out with Jesus in the flesh and ministry for three years, and he got a lot of good stuff, would you agree, from Jesus during that time. And uh, Peter has some things to say about the, to the praise of his glory, so we're going to look at part of that. It's an, it's an inexhaustible subject, but we are going to, uh, we just dipped into it the last nine weeks, and, and uh, we're going to finish it up today. So, when I was uh, doing my teacher training for elementary ed to teach elementary education, I teach grade school at University of Portland. They said that the purpose of us as teachers, they really hit it, that we're going to produce good citizens. That was the goal. And I always felt like that's so weak. But there's, some, there's stuff so much better than that in God. And you know, their surveys have done of parents what they want for their kids. And you know what they say mostly across the board? I just want my kids to be happy. I want my kids to be hedonist. I want my kids to focus on their personal happiness. Mm. There's something so much better than that. So much better than that. Or this, even Christians, forgive me if you said it to me, your bucket list. What you want to do before you die. Most of my bucket list, and I have a bucket list, but I'm going to do it in the first few weeks when I get to glory. I don't have any problem waiting on my bucket list. I don't have a sense of, I'm not criticizing anybody, I don't think, maybe I am. <laughs> We're having a bucket list to complete. But I just want to assure you that whatever you can't get done here, you're going to be able to do over there. If you want to. If you want to. You might have other things that are more fun at that point. <laughs> Saying that, I feel like God wants us to know he's jealous for your life purpose. To be him and his glory. Not because he's egotistical, but because you were wired for it and you're your best human. You're your best human being when you're living for the praise of his glory and praising him with your lips for the praise of his glory. When your focus for your life is outside of your career, even outside of your, uh, first and foremost, of your family, certainly outside of yourself, where the arrows aren't pointed inwards, or us four and no more. But our focus is him and his glory and his majesty and his cause. Something together that we work on that's bigger than ourselves. And I want to tell you, when we get a hold of that vision, that dream and that purpose, everything changes for us. When we recognize that God has prepared us for good works. He has prepared even the difficult things in our life, synergistically and, and chemically, if you will, to produce 
to produce us to be ready for ministry, prepared us for ministry. Just like he prepared the salvation story. Just like he prepared for the impact of the atonement, using even the wrath of, of man to praise him. He says, he says, you know, the Romans chose to crucify Jesus unjustly. The Jewish leaders chose to condemn, to condemn Jesus unjustly. Judas chose to betray Jesus, and it was better for him that he hadn't been born than to have done that. But God worked through that to produce a blood-bought people that includes you and includes me. And then the blood-bought people irresistibly attracts the power and presence of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, that restless Holy Spirit that is being is poured out on us, is not a Christian hedonism that just says, I, it's, it's just for me to be blessed and that alone. But experiencing that blessing, the Holy Spirit restlessly stirs us to the works that God has prepared billions of years ago for us to do today. And the Holy Spirit has worked the circumstances of your life, the regrets, the failures, the injustices, the unfairnesses, the difficulties. He's working all those. He works all things according to the purpose of his will. And Romans 8, 28 is still in the Bible. He's working all things according to, uh, you know, for your good because you love him. And he's doing these things because he's God. He's doing it with millions and has done it with millions and millions, even billions of blood-bought people. In his creativity and his, the depth of his ability to do all these things at the same time. He's working it all for for the advancement of his kingdom, so more and more people will live for the praise of his glory. Live with that goal outside of ourselves. That's where the joy and the peace is. That's what we were wired for, created for. See, as Lewis said, that which is our greatest duty is also our greatest pleasure. John Calvin wrote, don't make me qualify John Calvin every time, okay? <laughs> I'm not a per se Calvinist because there's a lot about John Calvin I don't agree, but there's a lot he said that's pretty cool. So don't make me qualify that every time, okay? <laughs> he said, worship is the law of our being. There's that within us that wants to live for God that wants to praise him with our lips, that wants to testify about his goodness that we see in the Bible and that we see in the circumstances of the blessings of our lives. Like my niece Hillary is praising God these days for what God's doing in her family, her life. And to live out a life with reference to him in our work. So whether we eat, or drink, whatever we do, we do all for the praise of his glory. And no one does it perfectly. But I trust that as a result of this series, that we're all doing it by the anointing and strength and power of his spirit. We're all a little bit more focused on the supreme purpose of our existence. 
live for the praise of his glory. To verbalize it, to live for it, to think about it, to consider it. That's just my introduction. (laughs) Point one. You and I are called to this reality. You are called to this reality, him. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and following. I want you to see how obsessed Peter is with the goodness of God. He's not unlike Ephesians 1 with Paul's obsession with the blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, spiritual blessings. Peter's obsessed and stunned and moved by the goodness of God. I think he got it from Jesus and he's, he's owning it permeates his personality. He is owned by God's blessings. And he says, he says, you are too, you guys, you are too. You're a chosen generation. Nice to be chosen, isn't it? Way better than not being chosen. A royal priesthood. Royalty. A holy nation. His own special people. The people that were the ancient Hebrews, God's people, the Jews. The apostle Paul says in one place, it's not just the biologi- it's not the biological Jews that are Jews. It's the children of promise through Isaac. It's through Isaac that my people will be, will be blessed. And that includes Gentiles now, folks. And you know what I love about that? The word Isaac. The name Isaac means laughter. Praise. Praise, light, and happy, and joyful, and free, and laughing is your solemn duty. (laughs) You're a special people. It's a together factor. None of us are alone. It's family. We belong. Nice to be blood-bought together that you may proclaim the praises of him in thought, word, and deed outside of ourselves, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Nice to live in the light. Let there be light. And you were born from above. Who once were not a people, but Now you are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. And Peter is including himself in this. And then he says, before he continues, beloved, you are the focus of his love. And so am I, says Peter. So the living to the praise of his glory is mentioned in this passage that we may proclaim the praises of him. The springboard is the goodness of God. 
with specific reference to his goodness to you. Not the goodness of God generally, but the goodness of God specifically. When John, when John Wesley was coming home on his mission from, to Georgia in the, before the first great awakening broke out, the ship was hit by a storm. And the Moravian Christians were singing praises and everybody else was terrified, including John Wesley, the missionary. So he appealed to them in the shaking and tumultuous seas, how can you have such peace? And they told him in Jesus and they asked him, are you right with God? Do you know that Jesus loves you and died for your sins to forgive your sins. And John Wesley replied, I know he died for the sins of the whole world. And the Moravian leader that he was talking to in the tumultuous storm said, but how about you, John? Do you own it? Is it yours? You know that hymn? He comes at Christmas time. He comes to make his blessings known. How far? Far as the curse is found in you and in me. We have a sense of our own loss, our own mistakes, our own regrets, our own sins. Jesus says, The promises of God are not just out there generally, John. They're for you. They apply to you. In childlike faith, own them for yourself. And that is the springboard. You ever watch the YouTube fails about people jumping off of springboards (laughs) into swimming pools? I thought about showing you one just for fun, but I thought the illustration might overwhelm the point. But I want to tell you, we have a solid springboard. We have a solid platform. These promises, these blessings that Peter is talking about, they're solid and they're sure. And we can spring off of them to to live for the praise of his glory. And I want to tell you, it's the only thing we can spring from to live for the praise of his glory. Nothing else works. In contradistinction to different images of God out there, let me quickly review some of those. Our culture at large has difficulty seeing God as being good, kind. I remember talking to a guy one time on the street in a parking lot, sharing the gospel, trying to share the gospel with him. And I said, you know what? God loves you just as much as you love your little son, even more. And man, I thought he was going to slug me. He got so mad. I was surprised. I thought, okay, note to self. I've been evangelizing for 52 years, and I'm still learning. Sometimes people have a hard time accepting the fact that God loves them. And he took it as an insult that, that, that 
I would say that his love for his son is pulled way, 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 way down less to the point where God cares. And I walked away thinking, oh my goodness. There's such a need out there for a revelation of the affection and desire and good mood reality of God. Care for God. Down through the ages, people have grasped in their rebellion against God, have grasped for God's small g. But you know that all, without exception, all the small g gods, the idols, don't love us, don't love the people that worship them. They worship them, why? They sacrifice their children to them over the years. Why? To placate them and keep them away from us. That's the deception of the devil. Out there, the natural man cannot accept the love of God. We need the spirit to give revelation to the love of God. And that happens in the preaching of the gospel, the simple gospel of Jesus. We give our words in weakness, just like Jesus died on the cross in weakness. God comes flooding in with power through the words and he does talking, himself does the talking to the people. And we stand back and watch God bring someone to faith in Christ. Often it's, we, it's a wonderful miracle to behold, to sit back and watch God do the work when we've just in weakness just said a few words. There's also the issue of our, some of us have had earthly fathers. John Wimber, a great uh, vineyard leader in the 1980s and 90s, healing movement, found it easy to relate to Jesus, but not so easy to relate to God the Father. And he got a breakthrough, and he realized that God the Father loves him just as much as Jesus does. It was a huge, miraculous breakthrough. It was because he didn't have a dad in his life. And I have heard people say, well, my dad, my dad was really not a good dad. And some of us had dads that are really not just not good dads, but they were horrible, horrible dads, horrible, hellish experience of dad. And I want to tell you, it's a lie to believe that you are stuck with an image of God the Father that's limited because of your earthly dad. That's a lie. It feels true, but God can break that off of us and give us freedom to know that God is not like our earthly father if we had a bad father like that. John Wimber got victory, and so can you if you're in that situation. Then there's the, sele- there's the view of, there's the, the challenge of the Old Testament. I wonder if you've ever read the Old Testament and think, man, I kind of like how God is expressed more in the New Testament than this. <laughs> I know I have. But what I love about the Old Testament is that the Old Testament has the New Testament concealed in it. You have to look for it and find it. The New is in the Old concealed The old is in the new revealed. When you look and read the New Testament and use the eyeglasses of the New Testament to read the old, you can see God like he really is. But there are people, my grandfather Williams, my mom's dad was one of them, who got so stuck with the just reading the Old Testament 
that he threw the whole, whole Christian, uh, evangelical Christianity out the window until his last days. He, remember, he found out I got good saved and he wanted to talk to me and ex- try to explain to me why I shouldn't go that direction in life. And he gave me a book by a liberal theologian and I read the book and I just, I commented on it, I scratched stuff out and I yelled at the guy and I gave it back to my grandpa. I'm glad he came back to faith before he went, to, before he passed into eternity, came back fully to Jesus after being led astray by his pastor, I might say, which is, you know, sorry for pulling you into some family sludge just now. <laughs> Move out quickly here. This quote from Karl Barth, God is Jesus-like, and in him there is no un-Jesus-likeness at all. I I want you to look at that again. God is, if there's anything in your mind about God that's not Jesus-like, you're believing a lie and relating to God a, a lie. It's not true. Everything about God the Father and God the Holy Spirit is Jesus-like. In God, there is no un-Jesus-likeness at all, ever. For some of you today, this will be fully liberating to a place of joy and happiness as you meditate on it. So if this strikes a chord with you, don't forget this because it will be continually helpful to you. The secret to magnifying his wonderful attributes of goodness to us that I mentioned in this passage, being royalty, being special, being chosen, living in light, Belonging, obtaining mercy. The secret to having this, these godlike qualities, moving them from being theological realities that you know about intellectually and cognitively to owning them spiritually and emotionally and intimately organically in your connection with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. The secret is your, is your lips, is praise. So we do all we do for the glory of God, but as we do all we do for the glory of God, our lips are continually praising him. God, is met, God, or, God invented us this way that when we praise him with our lips... He is magnified in our consciousness and in our awareness and in our inner world. Psalm 34, verse 1 and through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. And as we sang in the early Jesus movement days, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. 
I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. We sang a lot of scripture back in those days and in doing so memorized a lot of good scripture. But I want you to see that in that psalm, Psalm 34, the secret to magnifying the Lord in my awareness, having him increase and be big in my awareness, there is a secret. It's my lips. My praise. In song... In our meetings, in song as you're driving, in talking with other people, when you hear of anything good to say praise the Lord, living continually with God being big and magnified more and more in our personal inner worlds, this close, our lips. I had a Jesus dream about New Song a few years ago. And I love God dreams because there's a superlative dimension to it. There's no limitations. You experience emotions and you experience um, awarenesses that have no limitations from our physical world. And in the dream, we were all smiling and standing and the place was full And Jesus Christ in his personality and his presence just filled the whole room. Everybody was aware of Jesus Christ filling the whole room in his goodness, in his kindness, in his love, in his smile, in his eyes. It's pretty cool when the judge of all the earth looks you in the eye, grabs you by the shoulders and looks you in the eye and says, you are the best. You are, my, you are one of my favorite, he says to all of us. Like John, the apostle, I'm the one he loves. <laughs> but we all own that reality. I had that dream. And I want to tell you, we are approximating that in recent Sundays. And I want to give you a Pastoral admonition. You ready? Let's not just wade in the shallows of the anointing and the spirit. Let's dive in. Let's swim. Let's wallow in his goodness. Why well, I don't know how to swim. He'll help you swim. He, he's okay. He's okay. loves you if you wade. But boy, he'd like you to go in the deep end. Yeah. Happens through humble praise. No pseudo-dignity that says in church we must be respectful. That's pseudo-dignity. Where there's freedom, where there's standing, where there's sitting where there's no judgment atmosphere about whatever anybody else is doing. There's just a together dimension where Jesus fills us all. Where it's, it's happening, it's happening, but God wants to pull us in even more. 
My second point is you're called to this reality, which is them. Gentiles. We're the people of God. Gentiles are the pre-believers. I don't like calling them unbelievers because they're they're pre-believers. I expect them to get saved, don't you? Gentiles, they, 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 in this uh, passage I'm about to read from Second Peter as we continue, chapter 2, verse 11. You okay? Anybody bored? If you raise your hand and are bored, we'll have you escorted out. First Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I beg you, I mean this, man. I really want this to happen for you, God. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Them. There will never be a retreat to a fortress mentality. There never will be hang on till Jesus comes when he's called us to occupy until he comes. There always, there's always in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, a fullness of the Holy Spirit, a restless push of the Holy Spirit to interface, to, to experience juxtaposition with people in the culture. Peter gives us three ways that in the verses we just read. I'm not going to elaborate on them, just say them. God uses our honorable conduct. It makes a difference when we, uh, when we turn to the fullness of the Holy Spirit until, instead of the lusts that the worlds are going after. When we get rid of the lusts of the flesh in our life, not by just trying harder to get rid of the lust of the flesh in our life, but by pouring in, if you think of it as a glass with some sludge in it, just put the garden hose in there and turn it on full blast. You know, the water of the Holy Spirit just floods everything else out. Walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Simply put. God uses a day of visitation for the Gentiles, and certainly that has a double meaning. That day, they'll glorify God the Gentiles will glorify God on a, when Jesus comes back. Yeah. But you know what? They also will have their own personal day of visitation. I expect and anticipate every single person I minister to that's a pre-believer that there will be a day when they will have a visitation from God. And on that day, they will remember the simple gospel that was shared with them. And they will put their faith in Jesus. Not unlike Pete Maravich, the basketball player. I'm no idea. I'm dating myself by saying that. But he heard an evangelist preach. 18 years later, he remembered as he was lying on his bed, not able to sleep, the message from 18 years previous. He rolled out of bed onto his knees, called on Jesus to save him and became an NBA evangelist in the years remaining in his life. God speaks. There's a day of visitation for Pete Maravich and for every single person that is a um, pre-believer out there. 
God uses our good works. Peter says so here. He's echoing the Apostle Paul. It makes a difference. Your good works make a difference. The works that God has prepared for you to do and is preparing you to do. I got that quote from Tom Holland that I paraphrased last week. He's an atheist, author, and historian, but he was forced to acknowledge how the individual pursuit of journeyman Christian changed the world together. This is the quote. While studying the ancient world, Holland writes, he realized something, simply that the ancients were cruel and their values utterly foreign to him. The Spartans routinely murdered imperfect children. The bodies of slaves were treated like outlets for the physical pleasure of those with power. Infanticide was common. The poor and the weak had no rights. How do we get from there to here? It was Christianity, Holland writes. Christianity revolutionized sex and marriage, demanding that men control themselves and prohibiting all forms of rape. Christianity confined sexuality within monogamy. It's ironic, Holland notes, that these are now the very standards from which Christians, Christianity is now derided. Christianity elevated women. In short, Christianity utterly transformed the world. As individual trees, we are a mighty forest that changes things. And finally, we are called to this reality, peace and cheer. In our good works. My daughter Sarah... um, read that her car, she's supposed to check the oil every month. So she checked it yesterday, and it was down two quarts. Dad, is this supposed to be this way? I think you should check it every week, Sarah. She's learning. She's learned about it. Peace and cheer are the oil for our good works, and we need to keep it changed and fresh. The oil of the Holy Spirit is peace and cheer. Remember when resurrected Jesus appeared to the disciples, and he said, peace to you. And then a few minutes later, I think that they didn't receive it. And so he said it again. I think if they would have received it, he wouldn't have had to say it again. So he did this. And the very breath of God that breathed into the first man that he formed with his hands out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. That same God breathed onto the disciples, and in so doing is saying, you are new life. You have power in the, in the ruah of God. 
the breath of God to be at peace. And there's only one thing keeping us from experiencing deepening, ever-deepening levels of peace. And that is dipping our big toe into the Holy Spirit instead of going all in and swimming. There's peace in the fullness of the Spirit. There's something else that will catalyze peace so for us, and that's cheer. The two are married. F.F. Bruce, if we can put that up, said peace is um, joy resting and joy is peace dancing. They're pretty close. And that's this, this last verse I wanted to share with you. John 16, 33, these things Jesus said, I've spoken to you that in me you have, may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Say tribulation. tribulation. You know what that is in your life, even in recent days. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's peace that passes understanding and it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. There was a young lady and her friend on the street the other day that walked past me and one of the young ladies had on her t-shirt, peace, joy, dance. And I spontaneously said to them as they were slowly walking by, peace, joy, dance. That's what Jesus gives me with infinite measure on the inside every single day. They just walk faster. <laughs> but I'm going to get those t-shirts. And I'm going to put on the back, life is with Jesus is better. So you can try that yourself. Peace, joy, and dance. Jesus said, be of good cheer. See not out of sarcasm or cynicism, but see the humor in things. Hold, hold life a little more lightly. Don't take yourself quite so seriously. Your family needs you to be not quite so, not, not quite so grim in your ministry. You know that Paul says that we're all children, says they're all children now because they're they're the, sorry, they are children because they are the seed of Abraham. It's not, not all of the, of the Jewish people are children because they're the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Isaac is laughter. So laughter and cheer. Final little story real quick. Benny Hinn stuttered as a child. Benny Hinn did. His friends at school were zero. No friends. Everybody mocked him because he stuttered. Isolated. Shamed. Went to a Catherine Coleman meeting as a teenager. The spirit came in power on him. He got good saved, filled with the spirit, and he found solace, comfort from the presence of the spirit wasn't too long before that he was asked to give his testimony at a Christian meeting. He panicked because he knew he would stutter. But you know what? He saw it as a tribulation 
And he was going to have joy and cheer and peace and peace in the face of that tribulation. Nothing mattered except Jesus in him. And he knew he would just go there and stutter, make a fool of himself, shame himself. But he didn't care because the only thing that mattered was him and Jesus. And he went and he talked. And as soon as he opened his mouth, that stuttering was broken off of him and he never stuttered again in any context. Don't you just love Jesus? Don't you just love him? So in all your good works that you do to live for the praise of his glory, let, let yourself be a no grim zone. Peace. Peace. Joy. Cheer. I know there's a time of sorrow. I'm not saying be frivolous when you're sorrowing or, or bereaved. But you know what I'm saying. Peace, cheer, dance. We stand up. For altar work today, I felt I had some words of knowledge for people either in our congregation or on TV or both. If you have a, some malaise in your head, just something's off in your, you feel like in your, in your brain, God wants to heal that. And he's healing that today. If you have heart arrhythmia, God is healing heart arrhythmia today. And I feel like God is giving a breakthrough for depression today. Depression is not, does not easily leave. But the secret, there's benefits from counseling. It's all good. But part and parcel of it is to find yourself waiting deeper and deeper into the river and let Jesus baptize you into his spirit and see that depression just broke off anyone in the congregation today or for anything else you'd like prayer for we have an atmosphere and environment of miracles we invite you to come and partake and at home just receive that right now in Jesus name We love you. God loves you. Have a great week living for the praise of his glory with peace and cheer in the fullness of the Holy Ghost. You're different. You have a different world that you live in. You're living from heaven to earth. Have a good time at it today, okay? Peace.